0: really good to be here with you. really is. I've met taking two years for you to really come here. Those emails obviously didn't get through. Nah, it's a great pleasure to be with you. How are you doing? How's your 40 days going so far? Is it fasting for 40 days or just one day a week? Just one day a week. You're looking very healthy for people towards the end of a 40 day fast. That's all I'm, that's all I'm saying. Great. Well, I like... I don't know if you like winning. Uh, to be honest, I've never met anyone who says that they prefer losing to winning. Most of us like winning. We're not all the same. I saw a tweet the other day that said, um, "Winning isn't everything. Rubbing your opponent's nose in the fact that you've won is also important too." So we're not all <laughs> quite as as obsessed with that. But we want to. We want to do well, don't we? We want to do well, which is why Peter and the other disciples loved it when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. I mean, do you ever just take a step back and think what must it have been like to be Peter? Well, for a start, the Romans think you're a loser because you're in occupied territory, you're in the Roman Empire. But it's worse than that because the Jews from Jerusalem think you're a loser because you're from Galilee. But it's worse than that The Galileans think you're a loser, because you're a fisherman, instead of one of the educated people. And actually, the fishing community think you're a loser. Because there's this day when you catch the greatest catch in Galilean history, and your business is really going somewhere. Finally, you know, you, James, John, Andrew, you've not caught much, to be honest. You've been a bit of a shabby fisherman outfit. And then one day you have this amazing moment when you can expand. I mean, you won't just be Capernaum. You'll be all along the coast. You might even open a Mediterranean outlet. This is the moment! And you leave your boats and your nets. And you follow a rabbi who hasn't even gone to one of the rabbi schools. You fucking just imagine the talk in the town. He's fucked. Peter's got religion, he's following a rabbi, but the only rabbi he could find who would have him is actually a carpenter. (laughs) Peter's a complete and utter loser. And then one day, Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And it's amazing. It's like Jesus is on the back of a donkey, and people are like getting palm branches, and the whole town's gathered, and they're shouting things like, Hosanna! To the son of David, which if you're a Jew means, you're the winner! You're the only one who can save us! And Peter's like, I'm with this guy. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is like one of the best moments of Peter's life. Like the chief priests that have been laughing at Peter, following the rabbi was a the carpenter, they're really cross because the entire city is going after Peter's rabbi. Peter is basically thinking, I am winning and I love it until Mark chapter 14, verse 3. These are the verses just after Jesus. Uh, Jesus, this is the same period where Jesus is riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. And I I want us to read it together. Because I think it's really important for you as a church. I think it's really important for many of us as individuals. Even as I've been preparing it, I've really felt God speaking to me as well. So this is not, I've got it sorted and now you need to. I feel God really wants to speak to all of us this evening. Mark 14, verse 3. I'm going to read the words, and they might even, if we're lucky, come up on the screen. But turn to it in your Bible if you can. And just try and put yourself in Peter's shoes. While Jesus was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. Just stop there. I've called this message this is what winning looks like. Because um, you're in the middle of 40 days of just sense-checking your DNA, and I want to sense-check your DNA. See, here's the problem. Um, Many of us start following Jesus, and we want to do great things for Jesus. But we want to follow Jesus our way. Now, the reality is I live in London. If I want to go to Birmingham, I have to take the M40. If I decide the M23 is a less congested motorway, I'm going to end up in Brighton, not in Birmingham. But as Christians, sometimes we forget that. It's like, I want to follow Jesus this way. Jesus says, well, that way doesn't follow me, because I'm not walking that way. And you get your first clue in the first verse. He's reclining the home of Simon the leper. I mean, you've got to think that Simon's been healed of his leprosy by this point. But he's still known as Simon the Leper. He isn't known as Simon the Wow, the miracle guy. He's still known as Simon the leper. He's still known as the guy don't to look too close to his nose. This is the kind of person Jesus is out Now the danger for your church, my church, churches grow. They get a reputation. People start saying King's Church Harlem, oh even King's Church great church. It's dangerous. Did Jesus want to hang out with lepers? Sometimes churches are too great for Jesus to hang out with. Your church has grown great out of humility. Jesus hung out with Simon the leper. As he's reclining there, a woman comes in with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. Nard is a perfume that came from India. It was seriously expensive. You could only really get it in a king's palace. Some of those present. Oh, sorry. The woman came in with this pure love. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Now, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, "Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages, and the money given to the poor." Discovering the other gospels, Judas Iscariot was the ringleader, but he wasn't the only one. And they rebuked her harshly. And Jesus said, "Leave her alone. Why are you bothering her?" She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor, you'll always have with you. You can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Which is an amazing thing to say whenever the gospel is proclaimed in every nation of the world, I really want what this woman's just done to be declared with it. I mean, there's praise, and there's praise, there's feedback, and there's that. (laughs) It's amazing. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money, so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. The problem we've got is this is a really famous story. Even if you're not a Christian, you know it. Because it's like a motif in literature it has been painted by so many people. If you are a Christian, man, you know it. You know who the good guys are. You know who the bad guys are. You know that this is an amazing thing. And so you read a story like that and you think, wow, isn't it beautiful?
1: Isn't it lovely?
0: And I'll just be honest with you. I I I try and read these passages as if I've never read them before. I don't think... Isn't it beautiful? I think, isn't it stupid? i tell you what I want to do. Honestly, I want to find Mary of Bethany, who it is is in the other Gospels, and I want to say to her, what are you playing at, woman? Honestly, I do. I want to say, lady, it's all, you know, what's with the perfume thing? It's creepy. You come in to the middle of the room, he's not your husband, and you start playing perfume. And I say, what are you doing? That's what I want. I want to say it's embarrassing. You're going to do it when he's on his own, but like, i not really with all his friends. I want to say it's unhygienic. Like, not have, you not know, your food cleanliness certificate, this is perfume, he's thinking of, he said, he's trying to eat and there's going to go with food. Choose your mother, woman. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe, you just, maybe I'm just really unspiritual. And I also think it's really expensive. now where I come from in London the average salary is £27,000 a year I guess it's something similar right here that's a lot of money for perfume my wife's working on Sunday I have bought her perfume please don't tell her but I'll just confess to you I have not spent £27,000 on that perfume <laughs> who spends £27,000 on perfume you've got to think it's a family heirloom from a very strange relative and yet Jesus says this is what winning looks like. See, if I'm honest, I'm with Judas Iscariot and the people are complaining. I'm going to 27 pounds. Think of our social action ministry. Think of what we can do with 27,000 pounds. You've got to blow it all by pouring on Jesus' head. And he was trying to eat his spaghetti bolognese. What are you doing? I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> but the reason I'm mentioning it It's because these are the moments when Jesus teaches us what kind of DNA he wants his church to have. He says wherever the gospel is preached, in other words, wherever Christians are created, I want this story to be told. Why? I think why. Because we're all like Judas and his friends, if we're honest. I tend to think a little bit like this. It's mine. I want more. And what I've got I don't want to share. That's how I was before I became a Christian. And actually, it still lingers a little bit, even in my Christian life. It's almost like like as Christians we say, I want to follow you, Jesus. The way the world lives, I'm going to do that for you. And Jesus says, I don't want that. I want you to live completely differently from how the world lives. See, here's the thing. Judas and his friends live like this. It's all about what they can get. And it's all about what they can hang on to. And Jesus commends Mary Bethany because she's someone who says, do you know what? I just want to have my hands open before Jesus. And I want to say, Jesus, have it all. I just, I guess I'm asking the question, is that the king's church by the DNA? It isn't the DNA of most churches in the UK, I would suggest. So I'm asking you the question, Is it your DNA? What has it been your DNA? In which case, don't lose it. If it hasn't been your DNA, this isn't a series about how we hold on to our DNA. It's how we change our DNA. That's what happens when you become a crystal. You come out of Adam. It was all about this, wasn't it? I want. Yeah, I know you've given me everything in the garden, but I want that. We were all in Adam, and actually, our DNA changes. We were in Adam, but we died. But. Our old man, our old woman, was crucified for Jesus. And when we came out of the tomb, we were in Christ. We had a completely different DNA. And I suppose I'm asking you, is the DNA that you've had up to this point the DNA of Christ or the DNA of Adam? And I'm asking you as you go forwards, what kind of DNA are you going to have? See, this is what Jesus says winning looks like. It's a bit like a couple of chapters earlier, the South Widow she comes into the temple and she's only got two pennies and she puts it in the offering. And I'm a church pastor. I'm fairly compassionate on a good day. If I know her situation, Jesus is there. He's watching the offering. I don't do that. I'm British I don't do that. You know, I know what you do. You pass around the offering basket and you look away. Even if you're talking to someone, you look away. You don't look. He's looking. Okay? And he sees this woman put both... Everything she's got to live on in the offering. I would roughly tackle her. I'd do it softly because she's an old lady and all that. Right? But I would roughly tackle her. I'd say, don't do it. all oh, you've got. Don't we don't need your money. It's okay. The fact that you are willing to give is all that matters. Jesus just sits there and lets her do everything she's got to live on and says, that's the kind of person who really gives the kingdom of God. Is that kind of a lady God? Because I really believe God's calling it a Personally, I believe God's calling you to have it. And um, as a church, God's calling you to have it. You see, what's going on in this scene is you've got a woman who is essentially saying, I have got 27,000 pounds worth of perfume. And it can't help me one bit, because I need you, Jesus. See, the problem with this is we're basically saying, I'm all right, Jesus, but can you give me a little bit more? Whereas when you lay it all down for Jesus, you're basically saying, listen, there is nothing I can do to help myself. So I might not get you ready And here's how it works for individuals and for churches. Fast forward just a week, you've got Judas betraying Jesus and needing forgiveness. But he's lived his life like this. It's all about what can I get? It's all about how can I help myself? And having betrayed Jesus, he's filled with remorse and he thinks, there's no way back me. How could Jesus help someone like me? And the reason is he paints God in his own colours. And he's so used to basically making it on his own. It's a total shock for him when he fails. Whereas Mary of Bethany, she's outside the tomb. She's embracing Jesus. She's enjoying the resurrection because she's always lived like this. She's like, yeah, I wasn't there for him when he needed me either. I've always lived just receiving from Jesus. And I know even now, it will receive me back. See, it totally affects the way you live. And it totally affects the way you live towards others. Do you notice, Judas really interested in reaching the local community, isn't he? We're all interested in reaching the local community. I've never met a Christian that said, do you think evangelism is important? And they've said, no, not really. To be honest, church is all about me, my missus, and my kids. And if the church isn't helping them, then I'm just not interested. No one ever says that. Everyone says, oh yeah, I'm really interested in evangelism. We're all interested in evangelism. And everyone's interested in helping the poor. I've never met a Christian who says, well, for oh, they should, it's their own fault. They shouldn't be poor. Help themselves. I'll be all right. No, we don't say that to tell, yes. I'm filled with compassion for the poor. And wouldn't it be great if we had an offering to help them? This is where Judas is coming from. Judas is saying that is not the Jesus is saying that's not the kind of church I'm after. See, it it sounds so brilliant, and yet it's so toxic. What, What Jesus and his friends are basically saying is, there are all sorts of poor people, and because we have no need ourselves, let us help them out of all the good things that God has given us, which is kind of good and kind of horrible. See, what happens is churches like that, what they actually communicate to the community is, we're the of ones, and let us sort you out too. It's repulsive. Non-Christians come, and they don't want to stay. Because actually, they, what they think is they've entered a club of people who think that they're great, and if only they could be like them, they might be half-decent as well. Jesus says, wherever the gospel's preached, I want people to talk about it. See, that's not how people get saved. That's not how the poor get helped. The poor don't get helped by patronizingly extending a hand to help them. The poor get helped by us understanding how poor we are. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love this part of the world. I grew up in this part of the world. You know, I was like, you know, couple of the people in your church were instrumental in my salvation, so I love this part of the world. That's why I'm sure I would have come, like a shot, at an invitation. I love it, and I know the need of this part of the world. I know that God wants to reach this area for you in a big way, which is why I really believe he wants this story to be part of the DNA. What kind of church are you going to be are you going to be the church that has got it sorted and is able to say, come, and maybe you can be like us? Or are you going to realize your own poverty? The thing that motivated Mary of Bethany is she thought, I have got a treasure that other people would die for, and it's useless to meet my needs. I would need Jesus here. And when you get that, other people want to get Jesus too. Mm. So Helpful. Can I just bring a little bit of application? Um, Here's some application, then, personally. I think this totally affects the way we live just our normal lives together. As a pastor, I I end up talking to too many couples, married couples, where marriage isn't going well. And... uh, uh, often, when you, when you ask questions, you discover the reason the marriage isn't going well is because one, or more normally, both, are trying to get out of the marriage. And the key to any marriage getting better is for both, ideally, but even one, if the other one won't play for to start giving in the marriage. totally changes everything. You talk to a married couple and she says, oh, he's not the man I married. And he says she doesn't look like the woman I married. And you think, yeah, yeah, that's life. But you didn't marry them for what you were going to get out of them. You married them to give total change everything. I chat with people and they say, oh, there's no hope for my marriage. My marriage is dead. And I just think, brilliant. So glad you've got to that point. Because only dead things can be raised to life. Your problem is that you think things are okay, and Jesus wants to say to you this story, they are not okay. They need to be cracked open and poured out all over. It's like an expression, Jesus links this to his death. It's like an expression of even though the world thinks, I've got it sorted, it's dead. And I need Jesus to raise it to life. This is how life can change, guys. It's how relationships between parents and children get redeemed and changed. You talk to parents who just struggle to get on with their children. Children who are still alone. home, are children who've left home. You talk to children who struggle to get on with their parents. And when you talk to them, you discover most of the problem is people living like this. How dare, is my child, you want to respect me? Well, oh, I don't want my dad to do that. How dare he do that? It's embarrassing. And yet, when you start pouring out your life for someone else in a relationship, it changes everything. Jesus is just saying to us as individuals, come and walk the death and resurrection road with me. See, it's the moment where you say, actually, I'm going to stop living for what I can get. I'm going to start doing what Mary did. And just start pouring it out for Jesus. Everything changes. See, I, I was brought up in that kind of culture where children should uh, what was it? Children should be seen and not heard. I wasn't very good at doing it, but that was definitely what I was brought up to expect. And so, you know, I understand when parents say, well, it's my child. You know, my, uh, parents shouldn't serve children. Children, that serve parents. I get all that. And then I read Mark 10, 45, where Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. Yeah, it's the wrong way around. It's called the death and resurrection world. So If you're struggling to get on with your child, actually, here's how it changes. You say, Jesus, this relationship is dead. And I'm just going to break myself open and pour it at your feet. And I'm going to live with open hands towards this person. They're going to knock me back. I'm going to make time for them. They're not even going to want to be with me. They're just going to be downright rude. And I'm just, that's what happens, that personally. I really believe God wants to talk to you as a church as well. See, you've got a great history as a church. I know some of it, so I, 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 I really praise God for the King's Church story. I think it's a really dangerous story as well. See, um, when I spend time with churches that are doing really, really badly, they want to change. They'll change anything. Because they know their church is dead. The problem is your church is really alive. And that's really dangerous. Actually, God brought you to a point where you as a church are going to need to walk the death and resurrection road together. I, I gather you're planning on planting a second site in 2016. Let me tell you, we're now three sites. In three months' time will be six sites. It's a killer. Uh, I don't want to discourage you. It is awful, okay? It is death. I've just got to tell you that. It's awful. Like some of my best friends go to the other sites. Man, it hurts. And I tell you, back at the original site, the worship is horrible. Because you send great worship and you've only got like... Half the room full, it's oh and the best kids work and move and have it's hard. And it's brilliant. See, the death and resurrection road always is. See, so you got Judas in this story. He's he's at this very moment saying, I'm gonna hang on to what I've got and try and get off, which is most churches, let's be honest. What's your vision for the future? The same, only bigger. Your vision for the future is, this thing's going to die. So that it might, as a seed, become many seeds. You won't just be two sides. This is just the beginning of the journey. What you're saying is, Jesus, we have got an incredibly precious thing here at King's Church. And we just want to smash it open for you. But guys, I hope I'm discouraging you, or I hope I am discouraging you, because if you're not going to do this, don't do this this will cost you everything as a church and it will be wonderful for you. I'm so grateful that two years ago we went on this road and I just say, when you gamble everything on God, you never lose. But it is called the Death and Resurrection Road because it feels like death before resurrection. guys just need to be ready for that. I'm excited about what I hear God's about to do. (sighs) I think even there's a thing here as well. Let's like, be honest with you. The main thing that stopped me from becoming a Christian was I was worried what other people would think of me. stupid looking back. I was really worried that if I became a Christian, the girl I fancied wouldn't want to go out with me anymore. And then guess what? She didn't when I became a Christian. Um, I was really worried that my mates that I went drinking with wouldn't want to be my friends anymore after I became a Christian. But the weird thing is, you know, years later. I look back on that and I think, what did I nearly lose to hang on to that? And I believe there's something for you, even in the town of and beyond. you've got an amazing reputation as a church, and I think you have to be willing to throw it away for God to do something truly great. There's, there's something really dangerous about church having a great reputation because it, it makes you so risk-averse. And I feel like your reputation, which is wonderful, deservedly so. I feel God wants you to break it open and take some risks with Him. I feel as individuals, you know, I don't dislike like to live in Buckinghamshire. You know, you, you want to look good with your friends. You don't want to be despised and hated. we all like that. I tell you, if you want to walk the death and resurrection road, well, it begins by saying, I'm living for an audience of one." you you know, I don't care about these nameless people. We don't even know these people's names that are criticising Mary about Bethany. I'm living for the fact that there is one person who's going to say, wherever the gospel is preached, I want this story to be told. Is that how you're living? Let me just finish with one more thing. Let's just carry on reading. Just there's one more important thing I feel God just wants to put in your DNA. Carrying on, Mark 14:27. You'll all fall away, Jesus told them, for it's written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, no, no, no. Even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered. Today, yes, even tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, no. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. So he went out to a place called Gethsemane, the garden on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. I'm a father, he said. Everything's possible for you, therefore take this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but what you want. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon Peter, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayers had arranged a signal with them, the one I kiss is the man, arrest him, and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Here's the final thing I feel God just wants to talk to you about your DNA, about who you are as a church as you go on this great adventure together. Um, I feel God wants to talk to you again about what does winning look like. I enjoyed your time of worship. I really enjoyed singing with you. I think some of the biggest lies that are told in the United Kingdom are told by Christians in songs. We sing all this stuff, don't we? It's still lying, even if it's to a four-four beat, you know. It's uh, still lying if you say amen at the end. There's like something which God wants to do in you. I believe he, he has done it in you. I don't think this is something you're not. It's something God wants to lay hold on and make sure stays part of your DNA and increases part of your DNA is this whole thing of speaking the truth. See, in this story, you've got Peter, who is basically like a boxer before a big boxing match. You know what they're like, they're like talking the talk, and they'll take you down, and they'll narrow you. Round one, they're on the counts. You know what it's like. And winning in Britain is like that. I mean, we've got the, the Rugby World, World Cup going on. You know, you know how know, about to start. You know how it'll go. It will go in a media, oh, we're going to win, we're going to win, and then we won. This is how World Cups go. Sorry if you're a rugby fan. I've been a football fan too long. We talk the talk, and then we lose our penalties, yeah? This is like what winning means in our culture. And Jesus just wants to show us a different way. See, Peter thinks winning means being loud and, and, and saying all the right things. Jesus! I will never deny you. Even if everybody else deserts you, I will not. He's full of it. I mean, he's a big guy. He seems to be the only disciple who goes and gets a sword. So, good on him. You know, Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed, and Peter's natural reaction is, I'll get a sword. Good job, mate. And yet, as soon as the people arrive, he slashes off one person's ear and then immediately thinks, hold on, I was really brave because I've got a sword and I've just noticed all these soldiers seem to have swords as well. It's like talk, talk, talk until the moment of truth. So I will never deny you. And then he denies Jesus three times. I'm the guy, I've been with you everywhere, where do you want me? Well, I want you to come and pray with me for an hour. And he goes and falls asleep. It's just embarrassing, isn't it? And I feel like one of the distinctives you already have as a church is you don't just sing the stuff, you do the stuff. You don't just say the stuff, you live the stuff. You've just got to keep that. And I think this is so important for you as you reach out to see people saved, both here and wherever else God takes you in this area. You see, what I notice about Jesus is that his idea of winning is totally different from Peter's. Peter is all about talking loudly, Jesus is just so honest. Did you notice in that passage? For a start, he's honest with his disciples, okay? He actually turns to his disciples and says, my soul is troubled to the point of hell. I wouldn't do it. I, you know, maybe lead a small group. I wouldn't do it. You know, I'd be thinking, well, these 12, that I'm looking after, I'm meeting with them. It's going to be a really difficult 72 hours for them. I need to to say, you know, it's going to be tough, I have chats, but it's okay. God's sovereign, he knows what he's doing, we're going to be okay, there's some prophecies, Let me take you through the Psalms. He doesn't. He just says, I'm gutted. I'm so upset, I need my three closest friends to pray with me, because I'm devastated. Are you that honest with me? The problem is, we think that the way we lead people to salvation is to pretend that we're really good. I lead anyone to salvation. It's not how Jesus led the disciples to salvation. It's certainly not going to be how you or I lead anyone to salvation. The way you lead people to faith in Jesus is you tell them what's really going on in your life. I love the fact that Jesus is honest with his Father. As he prays, he says, please may this cup be taken from me, which is just really weird. Because the whole reason Jesus has come to earth is to drink the cup of suffering on the cross. He's basically saying, Father, please may I not have to die on the cross? And you feel like, Jesus, this is the whole point. You've not read Psalm 22. <laughs> so i 50, uh, Isaiah 53. You've not read this stuff. Do you not realise that the international symbol of Christianity is going to be a cross? <laughs> Clearly not. Jesus knows that. But what he's doing is he's modelling for us. The way you pray is you tell God how you're really feeling. The way you lead people to salvation is you should tell them what's really going on in your life. I've got to tell you, the, the, the people that I've led to the Lord have not been by shoving off about how great it is to be a Christian. It's by being really honest with them. I am really struggling with this, but here's how God's helping me. Is that the kind of church you're going to be? Are you going to be the kind of church where, you know, if I were to join one of your small groups, it's all about who could pray, the best friends. How should we go? Fine, fine. Where are you going to be? Jesus' small group. How are things going? My soul is distressed to the point of death. That was just the icebreaker question. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. To be like that, you know. I tell you, the people of my life, the people of the United Kingdom, they, they abhor faithfulness. They hate it. Not as much as God does. But they hate it nonetheless. But they love honesty. They are crying out for a place where they can come and just say it like it is. And when they come and find people who are saying it like it is, they can, "Phew! If God can be doing stuff in these people's lives, maybe I can stick around and do something you mine." The problem is, they go to most churches, and everybody's life is so sorted on the outside and they think, oh, I can't stick around here. Clearly, all these people do is come to church and fake it with one another. I want to run a mile. Because it's just not like Jesus. Jesus says, this is what winning looks like. It looks like being weak. It looks like being honest. It looks like prayers where you tell God what's really going on in your life. It looks like small group where you actually tell each other the lows as well as the highs. It looks like su- it looks like Sunday services where leaders get up and say it's really bad, but oh God is good. I love that. One of my senior leaders got up recently and just come kind of in the middle of a Sunday meeting. Talked about some stuff that happened in his week, and there were a few eyebrows raised. I guess a few people in the church were thinking, Oh, you're a leader, what are you doing? You know, you shouldn't be doing that. Of course, he shouldn't be doing that. That's why he's confessing it to the entire church. But I tell you, as he confessed it, people were thinking, Wow, if leaders here can be dishonest, I can be dishonest too. Jesus is trying to get a church in High Wickham where people are honest, where people are real, where unbelievers can come in and not find judgment just find honesty. where people will not pray the kind of prayers they think God wants to hear. They'll pray the kind of prayers they need to pray. He's looking for Christians that aren't all about rah, rah, talk loud, oh, isn't our church brilliant? My church is rubbish, just so you know. Someone said to me on the way in, I'm hearing great things about... I can't remember how they put it. It was something like, I hear your church is going really well. My church is going terrible. And I want it to always go terrible. Because it's all, life's terrible. It's always terrible. There's always something that you need God's help to. If your life doesn't terribly need God, you're not following Jesus at all. I'm living on the edge. Because that's what Christians are meant to do. Singing this song, take me deeper. You know, it's true. You know, John was saying, This is dangerous. I'm thinking this is the only safe place to be. John's thinking, This is, do, do you want this? You know, are you sure you want this? I'm thinking, like, I couldn't live another day in the shallow It's just so boring. My, my church's got problems all over it because we're always doing things where if God doesn't show up, the whole thing will And God wants you to be a church that hasn't got it all together. That is willing to go into that place of weakness and even other people seeing your weakness and some worship times that are really uninspiring. Some preachers who are pretty uninspiring too. Some small groups that are really lousy. And God turns up in our weakness. Are you up for this? What kind of church are you? What kind of church are you going to be? I really feel... God put this on my heart for you as a church I want to actually call you to make a, an individual response we've got a ministry team actually I feel good speaking to a number of different people individually tonight but let me just round off for you as a church I really feel God wants you to have the spirit that motivated Mary Bethany you've got a great church God says great it's time to break it over for the sake of Jesus you've got so much to hang on to God says great now give it all up and you've got a church which, frankly, is going really well. And God says it's great that you're so positive. It's great that you always glorify me by looking on the bright side. It's time to be honest as well. It's time to stop trying to impress your non-Christian friends into the kingdom of God. Just to let them see what's really going on in your heart. And just say, actually, I haven't got it all together. But I know Jesus. And he is changing me so much. And he can change you as well. That's what God's calling you to do as a church. But let me just make it an individual thing. I really believe God's speaking to individuals through these things. I, I believe there's people who perceive me. Um, actually, the prayers that you pray, they're not even honest prayers. Things aren't going as well as you tell God. And guess what? God knows. And this evening's an evening, just to get someone to pray with you about what's really going on. I believe um, uh, there's people here, and actually even as I'm talking about marriages and relationships, you're thinking actually there's death in this relationship, and I, I just need God's resurrection power. There's others, even as I'm, I suppose talking about money, actually you know that your possessions possess you. I believe God's speaking to you about letting it go. God's speaking to you as an individual church, is just people following Jesus together, isn't it? And this is what Jesus had to teach Peter. Do you want to have a church where you see 3,000 saved in a day? I do. Do you want to see a church where people are being healed by your shadow? I mean, how cool is that? It starts here. When you lay down everything for Jesus, you start walking the path of death and resurrection. problem is, we never experience Jesus' resurrection power because we're never willing to step into the tomb. I believe there's all kinds of stuff God's raising in people's hearts tonight. And God's saying, bring it into the tomb. Walk the death and resurrection world. And as you do, I will give you my resurrection power. So let's stand together. Then we're going to go back into another song. And if you're part of the ministry team, you just come forward. I listed a whole load of personal things. And uh, as we start this song, if if any of them connect with you, I really encourage you to get out of your seat, come to the front, and someone will pray with you, and just help you do business with God. The problem with a Thursday night is God can really speak to you, and by Friday afternoon, you forget it. This is a moment to really cement what God's doing in your life. And I just want to give you permission as well. If you're someone from King's and you've been here a long time, and actually even the idea of going to two sides of all this, you don't even want to. I just want to give you permission to admit that, and to ask someone to with you, Because what God's asking you to do is to get your beautiful perfume and smash it. But he wants to help you to do that. So, uh, if you're even struggling this whole season, it's alright to admit it. I just encourage you again to receive some